Hey, Rich. Today we're sitting down with Ken Paskins, the CEO and founder of The Shift Spot. And we have a pretty engaging conversation today. We go from interviewing the shiny object center, the cash flow, but most importantly, we talk about how entrepreneurs can take control of their business and their life. What did you gain from today's conversation? We got into some details that were really fun to banter with Ken on between coaching and training and the details of how he interviews. I took so many notes on the process of his interviewing that I intend to go back and review. Yeah, absolutely. And Ken used to be a fixer, he used to go into companies and help them fix their problems. And now he's bringing CEOs together to form a peer group, a peer, a peer community, really, that they can all help each other. Let's get into this conversation with Ken Paskins. Hey, are you looking for a rewarding and profitable entrepreneurial opportunity? Consider owning a Serta Pro painting franchise with a startup cost of $250,000 and an average franchise revenue of $1.8 million. Serta Pro is a low risk, high reward investment. As a Serta Pro franchise owner, you'll receive extensive training and ongoing support and have access to proven business models that have been successful for over three decades. Plus, you'll work with a team of highly dedicated professionals who are passionate about helping homeowners transform their spaces. Visit pro.com slash franchise to learn more about this exciting opportunity and start your journey towards financial success today. Ken, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Hey, thank you, John and Rich. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And we look forward to jumping in and learning more about the shift spot. But before we do that, Ken, can you please share with us your entrepreneurial story? I think that's very important for people to get grounded with. Yeah. So mine starts at childhood, like a lot of things, right? Both good and bad. <laughs> and I was explaining to both of you, I grew up in uh, Noblesville, Indiana, graduated from Purdue there. But my parents were the type of parents that put all their money on Red 32 and rolled the dice. And sometimes it made it and sometimes it didn't. So literally as a child, I was used to growing up and going to Vail and with my being in a restaurant, having a little clip on tie and eating lobster and having a phenomenal experience. And then literally four months later, my mom coming to me to, to drive me to the bank and borrow money because they can't pay their phone bill because some venture didn't cut it or make it, if you will. Going through that turbulent experience as a kid, I wanted to go the corporate route to start. And so I did. And for some time, I... I, I Gained a lot of great experience in high tech and software and managed PLs up to half a billion, teams up to 450,000, 450, not 450,000, but that's quite large, but 450 <laughs> people across North America and internationally as well. And gained a lot of experience as an executive, et cetera. And then after that, I formed a, an entity called GC Strategic Consulting. So for Close to a decade, I was operating as a fractional executive, a drop-in CEO, COO that would jump into companies that, for the most part, were struggling. And a lot of times the owners, they were hitting some sort of ceiling or wall, and they didn't know what or why and everything. So they'd hire me, and my kids would call me the fixer, per se. And then after doing that and seeing a lot of similar repeat movies, and I would tell owners that as like, oh, I've seen this movie 500 times, poor hiring or throwing bodies at a problem versus systemizing and processing or making uh, gut decisions and emotional decisions versus facts and data. I wanted to impact more. And that's what caused the inspiration of the shift spot, probably getting a little bit more than you asked for, but 
when I formed the shift spot, I looked at all the different ways that business owners and CEOs go out and get help. And they got it through expensive folks like me that they'd hire to come in, expensive coaches that they'd hire, advisors, right? And I've been in advisors and all the advisors like to believe that they're the smartest person in the room, right? And, and then they could join EO and Vistage and all those different things as well. And I knew there was a better mousetrap. I believe that the shift spot is a one-of-a-kind, unique thing that CEOs and business owners can come and join, regardless where they're at in their journey, and be met with additional help to help elevate them and break through that ceiling. So how does that work at the shift spot? Is, is it a consulting firm? Do you put people together peer-to-peer, -to -peer, or how does that work? Yeah, so it's a we call it a CEO peer advisory community. So we've got 144 different events through the year, and and it provides coaching, but also peer. One of the great things about EO is it provides community. Some people will spend sixty, eighty thousand dollars a year with EO traveling around. So we've got that similar aspect. One of the things that we, we've seen at Vistage is how they professionally facilitate CEOs and help them solve problems. We have that on a weekly basis as well, where CEOs will jump into a, a room, a virtual room just like this. They'll bring their toughest problems to the table, such as, hey, I'm firing my number two. I've never done that. We'll help come up with, hey, here's how to mitigate that risk. Here's some of the things that you need to do, your messaging for your employees, et cetera, help solve that problem for them to deliver. And then every week there's, uh, or every month there's experts that come in also. So every month there's a domain expert. So for example, in August, it's human capital. So we've got a big event this month all around winning the people game, if you will. So it's a, it's a little bit of all of that, if you will. And it's all about surrounding them with experts. And once again, they can attend the events either live or we've got an app and they can look at it on the computer, look at it on their phone. And we've got one CEO that... He's an attorney who's never been to one event, but he listens to everything. So when he wants to and how he wants to. So. so it sounds like you combined the best of what you saw in EO, the best of what you saw in Vistage, and then also included some asynchronous assets that could be consumed on demand. Yeah, yeah. And I took my consulting expertise as well and accountability. So we have an accountability coach that we assign them on a weekly basis. But one of the very first things, I won't go through all the slices on the, the beautiful wheel up there. One of the first things that they do is they actually, when they enter the community, they fill out a gap analysis. And it's a very exhaustive questionnaire. And it asks very simple things such as, do you have financial controls in place? And some people will ask, I don't know what a financial control is. Do you have employee onboarding? Yes or no? And it goes through IT, ops, finance, you know, sales, marketing, and it identifies areas of opportunity that could be preventing them from growing. So that's one of the very first things. But yeah, it, it, it combines, like I said, all of the, and, and that was the intent. It was uh, methodically put together that way to bring the best of, of everything that I saw out there, even ex expensive guys like me, I charged a lot, right, to the table where they'd have access to them on a weekly basis. You know, you had said earlier, a lot of decisions are made on emotion and they're made on gut versus data-driven decisions. Yeah. What's an example of maybe the most common gut-based decision versus data-based decision that you see in entrepreneurs? Yeah, honestly, it's probably hiring. Just if you think of how many CEOs and owners you've heard, oh, I hired him because I'd like to go drink a beer with him or seems like a great guy. And they don't understand the approach on how to pull the onion back and get to the root and 
hiring mistakes can be extremely costly. So one of our clients just had to let go of their controller. So we had to, they don't have, they have a fractional CFO who gets engaged on a quarterly basis, but we had to walk them through and help them understand the nuances of that and everything. But just, I, I think a lot of times it's that. Another thing is just getting excited about the, so, the shiny object, right? That's gut as well. How many times have you heard of the, uh, the the business owner heading one direction and then see something else and whipsaws the entire organization to go chase something else, right? So that's a lot of gut versus data uh, type decisions. And it's, all right, have we looked at the market? Have we analyzed why we're going to make this change and done those sort of things? So just the top of my head, I think those are probably the two that are the, that are the things that happen the most per se. So if I get a moment of free consulting for myself, knowing we have people listening in, and I'll ask a question I'm interested in, but also a touch of role-playing with others. So you go, okay, so I understand the words you're saying. Hiring, don't just go with your gut and somebody who you feel good about. Okay, so what's the data-based part of it? How do I collect data? That is going to give me indisputable facts that I can make decisions by that isolate from what my gut opinion is. What do I do next? Yeah, so great question. So attack it methodically. And I'll speak to you as if we're hiring a leader, first of all. Yeah. So, So my hiring process, any leader that you hire in your business should be able to articulate point blank what their hiring process is. And I will ask them that. My hiring process is, first of all, I'll look at a person's resume that's going to be a manager and or a leader in my business. And I will ask them, and this sounds silly, but I will ask them to walk through it and explain why they've made each move. What I'm looking for there is they made methodical moves and plan for their next move, right? Versus jumping and or running, right? So ask them, explain, what did you gain there? Why did you make that move, et cetera, et cetera. If I see that as a fit, I also like to run through, run them through different testing um, scenarios as well, such as anything behavioral, DISC, Myers, you name it, and also cognitive, not cognitive, but cognitive. So Colby, for example, that gives you insights into how they like to, what sort of tasks they like to execute and perform in the best, if you will. And then, but also let me toss out there, a lot of people don't know this. You cannot hire someone because of their testing, right? So that's illegal. You can use it as a piece of the puzzle to to assess the individual. But then as you're interviewing this leader, make sure that you have a thought through process. So if you're the very first person, have an exact process of what you're uncovering versus the next person and, and pass it forward. But for any leader, I like to break it down into these basic components. What Go into human capital start, right? So what is your hiring process? Once again, they should be able to articulate and spit it out. It's not, oh, I go to HR and they do this. If they can't rattle off exactly how they do it based upon experience and mistakes they've made, then that's a red flag. The next area of human capital I like to dig into immediately is, have you ever fired anyone before? And there's a purpose why I asked that first. Most of the time, people are going to say yes. The ne- after you get into that and walk through examples, the next question is, when, you're, when you've been reviewed in the past, have you ever been told that you, hire, you fire too fast or hold on to people too long? Sometimes it's easy to fire. Sometimes people will hold on too long. So I want to get insights into that as well. And then sometimes it's there's people that fire way before it's time. So then I'll flip it back on them and I'll start to dig into, 
explain to me a time where you've mentored somebody up and saved somebody. They weren't performing. And what did that look like? And I'll go into depth, right? So when I mean into depth, I will ask them, they'll say, yeah, I had this one person, Susie, and I turned her around. How did you do that? I did this. Okay, what was next, et cetera. So just keep continuing pulling it back. Some call it peel back the onion. I call it peel back till the bone <laughs> until you get to the truth, if you will. The next area I like to get into is communications, right? Communications as a manager, a leader in the business is important. So I'll try to get into and dissect how do you communicate up? How do you communicate down? And how do you communicate across the organization? What is that cadence? What I'm looking for specifically with their people is I have some sort of structured call on a weekly basis, either individually and or in a team component, right? Then I'll ask a very vague question such as, hey, how do you manage your department or run the business? And I won't feed them any information there, but I'll ask that very specifically. What I'm looking for is I'm looking for somebody to say, I use a scorecard, I use data, I use information. If they do say that, and even if they don't, I'll say, do you ever use it? I will have to toss them the softball at that point. I'll ask the question, how did you come up with those KPIs or metrics? What information was used? How many did you use? How, how much of an advance uh, of a head start did that scorecard give you to identify problems? When you identify a problem, what do you do at that point? Do you try to get to the root cause of that and solve that? How do you use that? Uh, another area to get into is project management, because each executive is going to own some sort of strategic project eventually, right? Hey, we're implementing a new CRM or an ERP or a new process or something. So I'll dig into that and ask them questions such as, what resources did you need? How did you utilize those? What was the impact to the business? How much did that cost? So peel the onion back into that area. And then get them to explain cultural fit and also manager fit, right? And keep that very open. But that's the framework for a leader that I use. And then any uh, red flags that are identified through that process, say John is next in the process, make sure you go to John and say, hey, look, we talked about the hiring process uh, and I drilled down, but I still feel very uncomfortable. John, I need you to dig into that. I need you to understand how tight they are because hiring can be extremely expensive and we need to get to, we need to, get, to the, get to the root of that. What could be going on there? And then it's, and then it's just assessing all the information, references are important, but not just, hey, John, tell me about Rich, hopefully it's going to give John a good reference. It's, hey, Rich, John listed you. Who's somebody else I could talk to that knew John, right? John worked with Ken as well. Ken's not been given the heads up, right? Ken might have different references and information. Looking at that, looking at the testing, looking at all of that information paints a picture of what the individual is about and how they operate. But granted, you don't know until they're actually on board, unfortunately. There's still some people are people, right? But that's, I, I believe firmly, if you follow that process, that methodical process, you can keep yourself safe. One of the keys I think you threw out early on before you went through your process, which thank you for going through that, is being clear about what are you testing for and yeah. passing that along to the next person. Yeah. Yeah. What I've seen is that is so important and that's so underused for yeah. the person who's doing the interviewing or the selecting if you will 
for them to be incredibly clear about what am I testing for over the course of the next hour. And you can yeah. usually, in my experience, you can usually only pick two or three things because yeah. that's about all you may be able to get to over the course of an hour. And then passing that along to the next person, I think everything starts there. If you don't know what you're testing for, then you're certainly going on gut. Yeah, you're going on gut. And, and let, let's face it, let's just look at some statistics. I know that your listeners fit into this category. So we work with companies of 100 employees or less, right? Okay, granted, that's 98% of the country, right? But if you also look at CEOs and, and owners out there within that category, 50% of them actually learn in their company. They learn on the job. They learn like my father, Right. So they learned about leadership and finances and the operations, and they make a lot of expensive mistakes, which is why 18% of companies fail their first year and nearly 50% by year five. Right. So, you know, we believe that a lot of these expensive mistakes can be prevented with a community like ours. And a lot of owners, when I speak to them, they're just going back to interviewing and tying it back to your question. It's it really they're very casual. They don't take it serious most of the time. It's like, hey, John, talk to me about your current job. John, what do you do for fun? And, and what are your top three strengths? Yeah, yeah. What are your top three strengths? Yeah. And some don't even understand the right questions to ask. And and I'll be honest, I I literally have probably hired and fired at least a thousand people in my career. And those things can be expensive. And the thing that I take most seriously about it, anything I've ever done is hiring and advising owners when they're hiring, because if you make that mistake, it can be very costly. My assumption, and it's an assumption, so I want to throw it out to you to have you either validate or invalidate it, okay. is I'm assuming you're not entirely throwing out gut. Like you're not saying... Your gut is worth absolutely nothing because I could go That's through right. all these data-driven things yeah. and I can go, but something just doesn't feel right and I don't like the person and I don't know why and That's I don't right. think the people they'll work with are going to like them either. Okay, and I that... don't know why, <laughs> but that's just it's just my gut. I'm okay. assuming you're not going to say hire him anyway because the data says so. No, so Rich, you have me until the end. <laughs> so you have me until the end. Because I was starting to, I was starting to think through that, and then as you continue speaking, so that's the difference between culture fit and not a culture fit, right? That is, do they fit our core values or do they not fit our core values? So, for example, if my company's core values are win at all cost, and Rich, Rich's core values are family, integrity, love, one another, and all that. Rich is probably not going to fit into our organization very well, right? So, if you look at those individuals, they're like, ah. Great on paper, great individual, solid, going to hit it out of the park, but something doesn't feel right. I would dare to say that 99% of the time, that's because they're not a cultural fit. Interesting. It's probably something in the culture and core values. And if it's not, you may want to inspect your core values because you're measuring up against something that hasn't been stated. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree 100%. So Interesting. You know your core values, and most companies don't have those. And some that do have them, they're just, they're aspirational or on paper. But know what those are and always hire and fire to those. Guys, I'm going to provide my two cents on this interviewing yeah. session. And then I'm going to yeah, change things in a different, to be an I'm going to take us in a different direction. I think it was fantastic, Ken, by the way, because I think 
I do agree with you. The more I think about it, the amount of errors that we make as entrepreneurs by hiring the wrong people. And then you look at the people you hire that are A players in your business. Oh my gosh, I wish I had 10 of these individuals. And I think it's a massive problem. I know Rich and I right out of college, we got trained on how to interview and we would shadow each other and evaluate each other and provide feedback to each other. And then we get certified in interviewing. That doesn't happen in a lot of companies. Actually, that doesn't happen in probably 95% of the companies. And there's a massive skill that lacks in leaders on how to interview properly for everything you just talked about. So I appreciate you guys diving deep into that. I think that could be an episode in and of itself of how entrepreneurs really need to focus in this area. The only caveat I'm going to throw to the conversation on gut here is I truly believe in everything that entrepreneurs need to trust their gut. And if it doesn't feel right, stick with it. Because at times that I didn't stick with my gut, but the data is, ah, this looks good on paper. So I guess we should do it. I've regretted it. So I'm going to stick with it. Still trust your gut, but don't make decisions purely on gut, I think is, it would be my message. Ken, to take us in a completely different direction, I I mentioned prior to us hitting the record button, I feel like we have a lot in common. Yeah. I'm in the process this fall of releasing my first book called The $100 Million Journey. Nice. And I'll show it to you after we get off this episode, but I think you'll find it fascinating as I did. The headline of my website is, it's time to take control of your business and your life. I love it. And sure enough, I go on your LinkedIn profile today. And the first thing I see was almost verbatim, the exact same thing. It's time to take control of your business and your life. And so all of a sudden I was like, okay, Ken and I, we're connected. We we have the same kind of mission, if you will, of what we're trying to accomplish. Why do you feel that was such an important phrase for you to use? Because I use the exact same one. Why is it important for people to take control of their business in their life? You, do you feel like they don't have control of their business in their life? Or what, what are you seeing that leads I mean, you to make that statement? I, I do. Not all. I can't say it's a, uh, it's everybody, right? Some people probably listen to this are going, wow, we hire like this all the time. And I work five hours a week and I'm happy. My business just runs like a machine, right? Chances are, if that's the case, you're probably not listening to this podcast because you're listening because something's missing. But I, I do believe that I, I come across owners that have asked me if they should scale backwards, right? So we've got a client in Germany. She owns a, it's a large SEO firm. If you look at all they do is SEO, they've got 25 employees. She started out as an SEO expert and now this thing's grown. And I've had calls with her recently. Man, I got to fire somebody. I don't know how to do it. I don't like doing all this finance stuff. Maybe I should scale backwards. I hear stories like that all the time. And you just think about how many people out there just are always in the business, just grinding and grinding and never have time to take off. My dad was one of those. He he came Mm -hmm. home. I don't know your ages, but I'm assuming we're close to age. I remember as a kid, him getting home at 1130 on Friday nights from the restaurant. And I remember watching Fantasy Island and Dukes of Hazards and eating tacos. And that's what we did as a family on Friday and wait for dad to come home late. And then we wouldn't see him Saturday. And he was just gone all the time. So I do believe, and, and John, I apologize, circle me back, ring me back into your original question, if you will. No, you've chosen to highlight oh, why? Uh, why? entrepreneurs why? taking control yeah. of their business and their life. That insinuates to me that entrepreneurs do not have control yes, of their yes, business and their life in a grand scale. And that's, I believe that same thing. I'm curious as to why that phrase was specifically important to you. And it yeah, sounds so, like, Ken, you so, saw some of that with your father, where he didn't yeah. have control of his business and life, where you didn't see him a lot. And yeah. that impacted you as a kid. 
That's correct. There and then just the other owners, as I've, I've worked with them from a fractional perspective, I just saw a lot of these things repeat, repeat, and they would not put these key pillars in place to help them actually scale and elevate. And that's why that calling, John, and, and really the shift spot is, I feel, a calling to help me help other entrepreneurs. Makes sense. And I feel the same to be quite blunt back to your story of this entrepreneur overseas was like, should I scale back my business? I think a lot of entrepreneurs run into the growth paradox, right? Oh, my business isn't working. So what am I going to do? I'm going to chase some more shiny objects. As you mentioned, the shiny object syndrome, I'm going to grow my business. Cause if I grow next year is going to be better. I'll grow and then everything's going to be fine. And then sure enough, growth takes more employees, which puts more strain on your system, which then consumes more of your time. And then you're not home on weekends for your family. And now you're not enjoying your life as much. And so the cycle kind of repeats itself. And so it doesn't stop at a certain revenue th threshold, unless you put the basics in place. We have a client that does 90 million annually. Yeah. I'll just call him John. It's not his name. John was like, boy, I thought it'd get easier at 25 million, 30 million, 50 million, but I'm still running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Yeah. Now, he's in a unique industry. I uh, called what I coined as the chaos industries, which are HVAC, construction, landscaping, things like that, generally high margin, great cash flow, but none of the basic business infrastructure. So no matter how big you get, you're still running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Yeah, so. no question. And, and in my case, Ken, I lost a company after building it for 50 year, 15 years because of the things we're talking about. Bad hiring, shiny object syndrome, lost control of the business, investors came in, lost my equity. I was fired, 15 years of building, coming over 50 million, lost everything. Man, sorry. I didn't have control of the business and that in effect obviously affected my life. And we could talk about that in a different episode. Yeah. But I'm assuming that the shift spot where that connects the dot is don't go at this alone. Exactly. By working together, by providing all these benefits that you can get from peer community, let's help each other take control of our business and our life. That's where the shift spot comes in, right? Yeah, it's that. And also, as you as think about what I said earlier, right? If you, there's lots of different ways to solve these problems, such as board, fractional, coach, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at those, I started to look at those as, as a fractional person, I would jump in and I would help them. I know that. But my optics were singular. It's like, all right, how does Ken view this? But so the shift spot, we we actually surround them, but with other CEOs and experts. So you have lots of different ideas and suggestions and advice to actually support you. Yeah, no question. And I, I loved your perspective because the definition of an expert, right, is somebody from out of town is going to tell you what's what you need to do with your business. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the reality is I could step into your business. You could step into my business. Just somebody with a fresh perspective can probably see the thing that, hey, you should probably do a little bit more of this, but you yeah. pay a lot of money for that. And yeah. to have peers who can help each other in that respect probably makes a lot more sense. I was curious, you talked a little bit about the Vistage and EO versus what you're doing. What is your view on executive coaches or entrepreneurial coaches, like the one-to-one -one relationship? Like, for example, an executive working maybe directly with you, if you offer that, to have that coaching from this one-to-one -one relationship right. versus the peer coaching. What is your view on the differences and why entrepreneurs should consider one versus the other? So I have coached other CEOs. That's not my main line and what I've done. Some have reached out to me and say, I just want to coach you. Most of the time I was operating, like I said, just dropping in and taking over and doing. But I'll be honest with you, maybe I'm a little biased. There's a lot of professional coaches out there that are teachers, but haven't done. 
in, in my experience, right? I, I know I, I personally have a friend who's a great coach and he's never, he's got all these great credentials, certifications. He travels around the world, but he's never managed a team greater than five. He's never owned his own company. It's all textbooks and intelligence. And I do believe you, you need to surround yourself with both textbooks, but experience as well and good experience and different experiences. So I don't know if that I answered your question, John. I think what I'm reading there is if you're going to work with somebody one-on-one, make sure you find somebody who's been where you want to be, has been there, done that, learned, yeah. failed, succeeded, yeah. whatever it may be. Not necessarily a coach who's going to be a pat you on the back. Let's go and speak from inexperience. So I think that's yeah. a very wise component. And, and I think to your point, some people may want that personal one-on-one. Some people may want the peer community where they can learn from a variety of different people. I guess it's, everybody has their own choice on that. Yeah. And not to say that one-on-one can't be a good thing. It can, but just remember as you get that, I've seen a lot of owners put all their money and bets on that one-on-one relationship with somebody that may have no business acumen, but they're guiding them and listening to them and becoming a friend and a therapist versus telling them exactly what they want to hear or need to hear versus what they want to hear. So I, I would just, my advice is expose yourself to as much information, as much help, surround yourself as much as you can. Don't go at it alone. Don't isolate yourself. And uh, the best of the best, get help, right? I'm not a Tom Brady fan, right? So I'll just admit, but I I lived in Colorado for years and I grew up in Indiana. You know, uh, the Colts and the Broncos were not fans of the Patriots, right? But if you look at Tom Brady, he had the best of the best around him all the time. And what did he do before every game? He practiced dropping back and throwing the ball. Has he done that a couple of times before? Probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he has. If, if you're running a business, why would you not do the same thing? Work on the basics and elevate yourself. And keep in mind, it's not just for you, right? It's actually for your employees. If you're better, your employees are better. If your employees are better, your clients are better. It's a complete circle. Ken, I want to potentially risk splitting hairs on something. All right. When you're talking about coaches who are teachers and they haven't done, yeah, I want to throw out to you, my view, and I really want that for, again, for you to either validate or correct, that what I've experienced is when someone is an instructor, when someone's a trainer, when they're a teacher, my opinion is they should have done what they're teaching, in part because leading situationally or the situational leadership principles tell us that someone who is high skill has both practical experience and theoretical knowledge. If you don't have practical experience for probably five years of making money as your primary source of income in what you are training or teaching or instructing, you will always be variable skill because all you have is theoretical knowledge. And I can tell just by your nonverbal, you agree with that. Now, here's the splitting hairs part. When we talk about coaches, it's also my opinion that to coach someone to their best performance does not require being a subject matter expert in the skill they are being coached on. I've experienced that from coaches, and I have been a coach with people 
who are far more skilled in what they do than what I am. I've never done and never aspired to and don't have the skill to do what they do, but I can help them do what they do better yeah. with my presence in their life as a coach than in my absence. Yeah. So that's just what I've experienced and my opinion on a separation between a coach versus a trainer there's a little bit of a difference there in my experience that I wanted to check in with you on yours. Well, I think that's I think that's fair. And I think actually maybe the caveat is if you're hiring a coach to say is helping you with your speaking ability or presentation skills or something like that. Subject specific. Yeah, I actually see value in that. If totally agree. If you're hiring a coach, hey, come in. I, I need an executive business coach to come come in. And I'm referring to my friend who does this a lot has all these certifications, but has not done the job himself, I question that. Yeah, difference, you're separating, and I don't think you're splitting hairs, but within the industry of coaching, you've got performance management coaches, which is this kind of general aspect of increasing the performance of those who we work with, versus a subject-specific coach. And if you're seeking to get better at, for example, public speaking, you better work with somebody who's been a public speaker at some point, and that's how they've made money. Right. Versus if you're just looking for overall accountability, up your game, performance management, someone to be a sounding board and set goals with, you don't need to have been a CEO to coach a CEO in performance yeah. management. Yeah, I agree 100%. But if, if I'm an owner, so if I'm an owner, first of all, I'm dissecting or coming to the conclusion that I'm struggling in my business because let's just make us make something up because I'm not great at public speaking. First of all, we're assuming being a great public speaker is going to fix all those other problems. And <laughs> but yeah, I can go hire an expert in that area that can polish me up and help me do that. But if you're looking to actually, hey, I don't know why my business isn't scaling. I don't know why I'm working so hard. I don't know why I have constant retention, employee or employee retention issues. I don't know why I think I should be double the size that I am today. And, and I've got all these people around me that understand the finances, but I don't. If you've got those sort of questions about just operating the business that you're struggling with and staying up at night, that's a different story. You You want... Somebody that's been there, done that. In yeah, opinion. in the in that specialist category versus yeah. an accountability type category, that makes sense. You had mentioned these chaos industries, and I've never heard them been called that, like the HVAC yeah, and Here's the it. and the landscaping and so forth. And you said they don't have a basic infrastructure. Yeah. And and we moved on in the conversation. I want to come back to that piece of the conversation. And for those of our listeners who are in one of those chaos industries. Can you educate them on what is a basic infrastructure that you're calling many of them lack a basic infrastructure? What is that? And yeah. how would they go about starting to get that in place? Yeah, so it's really actually some of the slivers of the wheel, but I'll, I'll go through it and answer your question. But I, I have experience working with just about every industry. It came out of software high tech, but then let's look at more blue colors such as HVAC, high-end landscaping, construction, painting, companies such as that, lots of blue collar labor, if you will, specifically HVAC, very high margins and profits, spin off a ton of cash, great businesses to own, if you will, but they're generally suffering in several areas. So they're suffering with 
everything around human capital, right? So finding the right talent, retaining the right talent, grooming and growing the right talent, right? They're suffering also within the, the leadership and management void, right? But if you look at the, the pillars, the, the things on that little wheel, what I call the basic infrastructure is leadership and management, right? Understanding what that means, finances, understanding what that means, Sales and marketing, understanding what that means, because obviously top line and revenue solves a lot of problems, human capital and systems and processes. And generally, a lot of those industries specifically will be, they, they might have the sales and the marketing component and hope that's going to pull them through everything, but they lack some of the other things, such as the systems, the process, the financial uh, acumen, the leadership, the management, and those other areas, which is why they continue to struggle. I believe that you got to be a well-rounded leader and business owner to get through that. One of the things we haven't touched on at all in the community, you'll see this little thing called balance somewhere on there. But we actually, one of the unique things that we do, and I haven't seen this out there, is we believe to become the best leader, you actually have to have balance as well. So we'll bring in coaches that talk about nutrition and health and things of that nature as well. Because you got to have a sound body, sound mind, and then focus on these other core values to really have a, a thriving operating entity. But that's my answer, Rich. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. You'd said, I missed one of them. You had said leadership, finances, sales and marketing. I think it was human capital. And then there was one I missed. And then systems and processes. Got it. Talk to me about what's the difference between leadership and human capital. I see those as having some crossover on a Venn diagram. Well, human capital, you know, what I always put in human capital is, is hiring, firing, mentoring, growing, grooming employees, that aspect, right? So generally our most most of our money and funds go into the human capital. But that is that. Leadership and management, yeah, it's a leadership and the management of the human capital and those assets, if you will. But those are different skill sets, right? So leadership, for example, is setting the, vi the vision and where we're going. Management, for example, just a little small piece of it, is giving the employee the right tools that they need to do their job and keeping that connectivity on a weekly basis and maintaining expectations. But those are the two distinctions or some, some of it. the distinctions that I put there. I think, I think I got it. You're separating human capital as more selection and retention type stuff versus leadership is the development component. Yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Okay. Guys, I, I want to maybe bring this uh, back full circle again. I'm curious, you're called in your prior career, the fixer by your family. Can you give, without giving any names, of course, an example of maybe one of your prototypical clients that joins the shift spot comes in where maybe things are imbalanced and after a certain period of time kind of gets control of their business and their life, who is that persona? Like, can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So there, there was one guy that joined and he owned it was 16 different, uh, what was it? Supplement business, supplement, like alternative medicine supplements and all that kind of stuff. And okay. it, it would also go in and massage, infrared, anything around alternative medicine and healthcare. And he also had a very large online presence. And this business has been around for 20 years and he's had all of his employees or his executive staff with him a, 
15 of those years, if you will. So they grew up together, had, had this tight relationship and everything. And he was struggling from a cash flow perspective. And he brought that to the table. And one of the problems was, is look, I've never done a layoff before. And he exposed that to the team. And is, I think I'm going to have to lay off some of my staff. And we dug into that. And what appeared to be going on were several different things. That One, he was taking full accountability for all the issues and errors in the, in the organization, meaning that his executive team was making him the owner of it. I can't think of an exact example, but problems would come up and they would hold him accountable and flip it on him versus him holding them accountable. So we worked through several different things. We helped him recast and reestablish his vision and also then made him recast and establish what the ex expectations were in his executive team. But then we also looked at the problem differently. And I wish I could have said that I came up with this, but I didn't. It was another guy that um, owns a uh, software company, about a $20 million strategic uh it's an application that helps you develop and drive your strategy across your organization. He said, should we look at the top line as well? So we can look at cutting, but what about the top line? So we looked at that and we actually, as a group, came up with a way to repackage some things and actually, actually put together some membership packages for folks as well and actually increased pricing. So after he did that, within a couple months, his top line took off significantly. And he never had to actually terminate anybody. So we impacted the top line to help him with what he thought was going to be a layoff. And he's got his team now, and we he executes and talks through his vision on a regular monthly basis. They understand what the expectations are, and things are in a better place. That's fantastic. It sounds like a similar concept that I love is by Vern Harner. She wrote a book called Scaling Up. And one of the things in the book is I like the that cash book. section is the yeah. power of one. Yeah. Right. Which is how you can move your businesses business by one percent, right? Increase your pricing by one percent, yeah. reduce your cogs by one percent, change your AR days by one day, and how the effect can be on cash flow. So yeah. it's great that that came around because cash flow. You mentioned earlier some of the issues with entrepreneurs run into hiring being one, shiny object syndrome number two, cash flow probably is that number three type yeah. of related issue, right? That entrepreneurs run into and have that those peers that can help guide you on what they did in their situations. I'm sure. Most, if not all, entrepreneurs in your situation have dealt with cash flow issues. So Absolutely. That, that's I, fantastic. And I think one of the benefits that I saw as well with the shift spot, which is putting your money where your mouth is, speak, is you provide a money back guarantee. So tell me about that. If I'm an entrepreneur thinking about this and I'm thinking, you know what, this could be interesting for me. Maybe I can gain from this. Maybe not. I'm not really sure. Tell me a little bit more about that because that kind of removes the barrier for entrepreneur thinking, well, I have cash flow issues. I don't want to go spend more money doing this, but. Maybe there's a reason you should. Yeah, so so go go look at the website for all the there is fine print in there. But ba basically, if you don't see the results in working with us, we're going to give you your money back, right? So and we've got all the details in there. It does include accountability from you, meaning you can't sign up and never attend and not do anything. This is a a relationship, and we are getting married to to get you to the next level. But if you put skin on the game, show up, put in the work, and we do as well, then we guarantee that you're going to have an improvement in your business from both the top line and bottom line perspective. That's excellent. Ken, I want to give you my interpretation of your logo. Okay. And if I'm interpreting it correctly, I love it. If I'm not, I don't know. Maybe I love it. Maybe I don't. All right, all right. Uh, so for those that are just listening, it has shift and the S and shift is blue. And then it progressively transitions blue to black 
between the H and the I. And then on the F, it goes back to full blue and the T is full blue. The way I interpret that is you have a full tank in the beginning and eventually you start losing some as the business goes up and the shift spot in your logo is on the I where when you make that shift, you go back to having a full tank. That's how I interpret the visual image of your logo. Is that accurate? It is now. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it that, that's what I saw. And I'm like, yeah, oh, my that's God. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, really, that's what that is. That is brilliant. That is yeah. like the best. Yeah, that's great. exactly what it is. I wish it's, I could say that is what, and maybe it is. I'm not a marketing person. My Yeah. My, my partner is my first company, GCE Strategic Consulting. I couldn't think of a name. So G is Gabrielle, C is Chloe, and E is Emma. Those are my three daughters, right? My partner came up with the logo, the colors, the name, and all that. It is very possible that's what it means, but I'm going to use that going forward. I will tell you I'll, that. I'll tell you, it 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 is a graphic representation of what a shift is. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, it paints the picture of a shift being necessary that you start with this full tank and the way that you have that escalating up is almost like growth in the business, but you're losing some of the blue. And then when you shift, you get all your energy back again. And I just think it is a really good, brilliant graphic representation of what I think your business is about. I could take credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) Ken, what would be your parting shot to all entrepreneurs that if there's maybe one piece of advice that you go, every entrepreneur could benefit from this in my vast experience, and it is what? It's surrounding yourself with others and outside ideas and challenging them to challenge you and tell you what, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And I think a lot of times some owners want to surround themselves with people that will tell them what they want to hear, right? And that can be dangerous, right? And we can fall off a cliff and never even see that cliff coming. So that would be my primary advice. Thanks for being on today. You got it. You got it. Two things actually for your audience, if you don't mind. Please. Yeah. So, uh, we've got a open event in August. We do this every couple months and it's just for that one sliver of, of the uh, experts and it's uh, winning, winning today's talent war, if you will. We've got like 80 people signed up for it so far, uh, but it's at the shiftspot.com forward slash win. And people can sign up for that. And we've got an expert that's going to talk through some different things. And it's starting next Wednesday at 11 Eastern. It's every Wednesday thereafter. And then also just for your listeners, if you go to the shiftspot.com forward slash gap, I came up with this gap analysis in my consulting firm. It's about a $5,000 value. We use it at the shift spot. Two of your listeners will be chosen. If they go in there, use the code entrepreneurs united. We will go through, we'll look at that, we'll give them feedback on some of the gaps in the business and area of the opportunities that they can work on today to improve. Excellent. Thank you for that. And thanks for being on today. Thank you. It was a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, I obviously jump in somewhere in the middle of the webinar and exposed some of my thoughts on this coaches who are teachers but haven't done piece. And he and I are very aligned on it. 
I got to say, I have experienced and seen in our system when we have people who are trainers who are very knowledgeable and they pass that knowledge along, but they don't have the credibility of the experience themselves. They're often shortcut by the very people who they could be helping. And then if you put someone in that role who has the experience, they also have the credibility. They could say the exact same thing, but they have the credibility with their audience. So one of the reasons I share that with you is just to close a loop on my experience on why I dug in a little bit there, but also to share with our entrepreneur listeners, if you have a trainer who's training things to people that they haven't done themselves, I will tell you take the borrowed experience and wisdom that I have, that doesn't work great because eventually there's a loss of credibility and people aren't going to follow through on some of the advice that that person's giving, even if it's good advice. They're not always judged by the quality of the advice. No question. Is that why you didn't hire me as a coach to train you on your triathlon? (laughs) But in all fairness, first of all, congratulations. You set a goal for this year and went out and did it. And that was a huge accomplishment for you, but you didn't go to somebody who had never done it before You're right. and said, Hey, you read some books on how to do a triathlon. Can you coach and train me so I can be successful at it? Yes. Uh, that just does not work. However, what's really important within that definition is if you are looking for, if, if you're an entrepreneur looking for somebody to help you with your healthy habits or your nutrition. You don't need to go find an entrepreneur who's been successful in business, who's successful also with their nutrition. You need to go find somebody who's successful and is understanding of nutrition theory and practice. So it depends on what you're looking for, right? If you're looking for um, a positive mindset and a growth mindset, you don't have to go find an entrepreneur who built the business that you aspire to, to do. You need to find somebody who is an expert in theory and practice of growth mindset and executes and practices that every day, right? So I think there's very good specialties there, but you're right. It all comes down to credibility, but also what ends up happening in business for an entrepreneur specifically, if we guide it to that. Entrepreneur, the journey of an entrepreneur, right, is ups and downs and ups and downs through the transition curve of learning up and down. And you need to have somebody who's been there, done that, who's had those failures, has had those challenges, has had those successes. So they can also navigate you through them because they've been there before, as yes. opposed to, yeah, I've never heard of that problem. Is good luck, buddy. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I appreciate you guys having that conversation. But more importantly, in this conversation for me, was really digging deeper into interviewing, and. For him to say, after seeing all these companies he's worked with, all these CEOs, one of the biggest problems he sees is entrepreneurs taking using their gut for their hiring practice as opposed to being more going into the data of is this person a right fit or not. Boy, in today's talent environment, if you do not master the practice of recruiting and interviewing the right talent for your business, you're toast. If we look at it on a scale, on the left-hand side of the scale is you use your gut. And the right-hand side of this scale is you use data. Uh, I would absolutely agree with him. I think it's very heavily weighted to gut. You came back at the end of that conversation with him and said, hey, but I wouldn't discount the gut. I don't think the risk is that entrepreneurs overly discount the gut or or overly, yeah, overly discount the gut. I think the risk is they overly discount the data. 
there, it, let me say that differently. There's very little risk that an entrepreneur is going to let go of trusting an element of their gut when it comes to hiring. If you just don't like somebody and you can't put your finger on it, you're probably not going to hire them. Correct. Versus the risk is not getting into any of the data because you just love that candidate and you love how they connect with you and you went to the same school and you have similar experiences and you have similar contacts and uh, people in common in your network and they talk the talk and you just forget about all this important stuff that he talked about between look asking them what's their hiring process going through and asking have you fired anybody and and what are you more self-aware of to hang on to people too long or to fire people too fast and i'm not going to go through all the notes i took but i'll say for him being a guy who's hired a thousand people, he said, and I believe him, that's an enormous number. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. He was like on automatic with what his process is in including data in it. Yeah. I just think so many entrepreneurs really do need to include more data, but I don't think there's a lot of risk of people just giving their gut up. I, I meant what I said. I, I think we could have probably stopped the podcast there and or just kept down the track of interviewing. He provides such great nuggets. I took down a few questions I love myself and I go, that's a good one. Uh, I need to add that to the repertoire because I do feel there's a significant lack of training of shadowing yeah. of being certified. And how are we going to interview people for this business to make sure that we're making the right decisions? Because one mistake costs you 10 X the, the cost of that employee. So it's a really big problem. Just that, a difference, John, between, doing an interview, and then specifically, what is behavioral interviewing? Yes. There are a lot of entrepreneurs that wouldn't know the difference between an interview and behavioral interviewing, and it starts there. We had a former guest, I'm struggling with his name at the moment, but we had a former guest that that's all he did was interview and selection process and taught yes. companies how to be able to do it. Yep. And we got into a really good, deep conversation on behavioral interviewing on that one. Yeah, no question. And I think ultimately, this comes down to this conversation with Ken really comes down to how do you surround yourself with people that can push you to that next level, help guide you to that next level so you don't fall off the cliff. And that could be other CEOs, it could be Ken himself, wealth of knowledge right there, I can definitely see how he guides these mastermind groups, so to speak. But you have to surround yourself. And I think one of the big problems that I had as an entrepreneur, was I'm too busy for that. I can't afford to do that. I didn't look at it the other way from the perspective of look at the return on investment I'm going to get from this time and the wealth of knowledge I can gain from all these people. And a lot of entrepreneurs go through this path and it's a lonely job sometimes. You run into a lot of problems. You don't know who to talk to. You don't want to bring it to your spouse and concern them. You don't want to, even as an entrepreneur, you don't want to bring it to your boss. You're concerned they don't think you know what to do in this situation. And so surrounding yourself with peer advisory groups it's something that I feel is becoming more and more prominent. I think the trick is finding the right group. Mm -hmm. The right, because you can surround yourself in a group. I've been in a peer advisory group before. I'm like, I'm not really growing from this. And I exited. It just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense to me. So you got to find the right group. I think it's a really important piece. And I think with Ken and his money back guarantee and what he provides entrepreneurs could be a really good source.